equity of up to £150 million. You're in the theatre, fine, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at Aestetka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. It is episode 117. We've got a little Monday night football to talk about. It is now Tuesday night. We gave ourselves 24 hours to think about it, to digest it, to talk amongst ourselves with it. And now I've got Scott here alongside to uh, break down what was a very, very disheartening 1-1 draw away to Everton at Goodison Park for Spurs. Scott, what's going on with you, man? Like you said, breaking down a lot of questions, mainly being why in the world am I continuing to be a Tottenham Hotspur supporter <laughs> throughout all of these, what we call cycles now, right? But yeah, uh, and as always, we find ourselves right back at the feet of the club, so you know, that's a whole other conversation, but unfortunately, Tottenham has let us down again. Why, how, who, what, all the all the questions that we have. Um, let's let's get into some of those. When we talked on our last pod, the weekend pod, uh, we recorded that Friday night. We talked a little bit about the Everton game, and I, I think we both kind of recognized that this would be a challenging game. You know, you're you're, you're traveling to Goodison Park. Everton have been up for it of late. Uh, really, ever since Sean Deitch took over, he's he's had them playing much better. Um, I think I saw that they had at least gotten a result in it was something like five of his seven matches or something of that sort. Um, you know, they were they're obviously a team scrapping in the relegation battle, which is not to say that they're a bad team. And it's weird when we talk about the Premier League in the context of relegation battles this season because it it feels like anybody in the bottom half of the table is in a relegation battle it's just kind of the way that the table has broken this season so we're talking about an Everton team that has played much better of late and I think we all kind of knew that this would be a challenge um let's start with the lineup though because this I guess was the the real surprise of if, if anything was surprising about what took place on Monday um I think it was a little bit of the lineup because Number one, we got Hugo Lloris back in goal. Um, that was not expected. I think we even talked during the pod uh, at the weekend that we, he was not expected to play, but he comes right back into the side, right back with the captain's armband. We will come on to that. Um, and other than that, I think we we really just saw much of the same. Um, yeah. I, I think there was some expectation that we would see things get mixed up a little bit. Um, maybe a start for Dunjuma. Uh, but honestly, with all of the injuries that that have taken place over the international break, 
Um, I'm not really sure what else Christian Stellini could have done other than maybe yeah. just keep Fraser Forster in, in goal. But what was your take on the lineup when you saw it? The only surprise for me was Hugo. I think I, I think I had put out a lineup that was the exact same lineup, other than I had Davies at wing back, not realizing he wasn't available, right? And then I had Forster in net. So I was surprised by Hugo. Maybe one more too. Oh yeah, I I I, I put Richie out too, and he wasn't available. But so Sun started, or sorry, Kulu started. But regardless, Hugo was really the only surprise for me, and. Reflecting back, I don't really think I I should have been surprised by that. I mean, he's the captain. It, we all kind of said it would be really hard to see him not start if he was able to play. Um, and I'm sure the club and Stellini felt the same way, right? And I'm sure you, you consult with the team and whatever. He's the leader, right, regardless of what we want to think there. Um, so, yeah, did surprise me a little bit, though, because Forster has been fantastic. It, you know, in hindsight, whatever. Um, I I just, I think, you know, what, what bums me out the most about the lineup is not so much what the lineup was, but what it did. And I know that's easy to say, but we all saw us play differently under Stellini in, in, in the same setup, right, a few times uh, when Conte was out. It all kind of fizzled out with us going out in the FA Cup under Stellini, right? But there was a run under there where we played a little bit more forward forward-facing football but we did not yesterday at all. And I think what concerns me the most, and I know I know we meant to talk about the lineup here, and I kind of went out a different direction with this, but what concerns me the most is I think we all kind of assumed Everton was going to sit back because they always do under under Dice, or you know, anyone would assume a Dice team to, to sit back and absorb pressure and, and find their opportunities, but I think Sean Dyche looked at Tottenham and said, lads, these guys can't fucking progress the ball. And I'm not joking right now. He said, these guys cannot get the fucking ball out of their own half no matter what. So let's press the shit out of them. And they did. And they they had us pinned back quite a bit yesterday. I've, I, you rarely see a Sean Dyche side do that, right? And so just concerning to me that one of the most defensively astute tacticians out there saw the opportunity to press so high against a team that can't progress the ball. And I just asked myself, why can we not progress the ball? And then all you have to do is listen to any episode of this podcast we've ever <laughs> recorded. And you will, you will hear us talking about, we can't progress the ball because of the tactics and the way we set up. So all the way back to the lineup, nothing changed. And that was super unfortunate because the result didn't change either. So I think what you're talking about was, was really exacerbated after the Harry Kane penalty went in and, and after Spurs took the lead, it seemed like that's when Everton really got on the front foot. The first half I thought was a really well-played game by both teams and Everton, the, the advantage that they had really was packing the midfield. I mean, they had, they had like a true almost five man midfield for this match. And that's going to allow them to do some things, especially against a Spurs team. That's really only playing two true midfielders with those wingbacks it's going to allow them to, to 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 do some things, but Spurs did not really. I don't think Spurs were allowing Everton to come on to them until the goal was scored. Once the goal was scored, all bets were off, and Spurs just went into a shell. Yeah, I I think minutes like twenty through thirty five forty. I remember us having a really hard time getting the ball out of our own half, and maybe I'm mistaken, but ultimately, I do, I just don't I don't I don't see how. 
we can't find a way to get the ball forward, especially against a team who really wants us again to just to have the ball. They, they they want us to work the ball, you know, in their half around the top of the box, get nowhere with it, fuck up, find ourselves out of position and break on us, right? And they didn't even have as much interest in doing that as I would have expected. And I think that just speaks to how poor of a team we are tactically. And somehow we're also fighting for fourth place still, which is just fucking incredible. Um, so, I yeah. think a lot of the progression too, at least from my view, and this was, like I said, it was especially the case from about, 70 minutes on after after Spurs took the lead um but even throughout the match a lot of that pressure was Spurs playing it out the back through Hugo Lloris and mm-hmm. honestly that I'm not saying that 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 Fraser Forster was was flawless in his stint starting but the one thing that I noticed that was way different was Spurs when playing it out the back through their goalkeeper are under so much more pressure when it's Hugo back there than they than they were with Forster. And I hesitate because it sounds like I'm just simply saying why did he, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that Hugo shouldn't have started or I'm not suggesting Fraser Forster is the goalkeeper of the future for this club because I know there's a lot of people out there who think that maybe he should be and I think those people um need to have their heads checked frankly, but there's there's definitely a disconnect between Hugo and the back three in front of him when they're trying to start the the run of play and 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 move the ball forward. There there's no there's really just no real connection there and it's it sucks because you hate I mean you hate to see the way that when you, whenever Hugo has the ball at his feet I just fear the worst. Just just straight up have yeah no they they seem to have no play i mean he played the the, this came after the goal so i'm not talking about the whole game but the hospital ball he played in to to romero right in front of him where romero had to do a lot of work just to get it out and then it was immediately turned i mean there were multiple times where he's playing a ball to a center back a center back's playing it back to him he's playing it to another center back he's playing it back to him then it's getting hoofed to, to the midfield and everton's taking it over because guess what as i mentioned They've got five to our two there, and it's just there's there's no there yeah. doesn't seem to be a real plan when the ball is in our own half to progress that ball to either the midfield or a wing back to then get it to the front three. You can get fortunate and things can break occasionally. And I'm not saying Spurs had none. Of, I mean, hell, they had 61 percent of the ball. They had nearly a half goal more xg like they produced they did some good things in this game mm-hmm. but for the most part when you see the ball in at really it's just when you see the ball at the feet of hugo reese you you have a big lump in your throat and that's not yeah a good, well, that's not a good thing yeah no he, uh, hugo honestly he just scared on the ball you can tell in his body language and the way that Rather than like Forster takes a space and says, you know, here I'm presenting myself as an outlet or Hugo kind of just stands there and waits for the ball to be played and then almost has to catch up to its path, see it over and over. So that's that's something that I don't even understand why we haven't addressed or hasn't been worked out or whatever, but it's been that way for a while. I also think, you know, we see all these reports coming out that Conte just ran the same patterns over and over and over in training, you know. And I understand why you do those types of things. But if you look at how we progress the ball, it's goalkeeper one to one of those wide center backs 
to the wing back every single time, right? And at some point, you you watch Tottenham enough as an opposing manager, you figure out that that's how we're looking to get the ball out of our own half, and teams seem to just pounce on that over and over and over and over. Um, and it kind of just begs the question, so many questions, right? Because why have we played the tactics that we play? Why have we even fired the manager and kept the same exact tactics? In one sense, I'm like, I've even been a proponent of keeping the same tactic, which I still am, because I don't think changing the tactics in such a dogfight for fourth is the right move either necessarily, right? Teaching a whole new system, etc. because somehow the system has us in this dogfight for fourth. So I'm so confused, man. I don't know how I feel or what's even going on as Spurs anymore. Yeah, it's it's honestly just a baffling situation that we find ourselves in, and I don't know how to make sense of anything. Um, also baffling was the decision uh, by uh, Decore to just hit Harry Kane in the face. Um, yes. That was that was quite an incident. Um, yes, I, and what was less baffling was Harry Kane dropping because that's what you do in this sport, as we yes. get every single fucking match. Um, I'm just gonna put that out there quickly. So yeah, well, no, that's where I that's right where I was going with it. Um, the the punditry in the last 24 hours surrounding Harry Kane is frankly it's just embarrassing. I'm not even upset by it. I'm just I'm embarrassed for people who think that Harry Kane is anything less than you know an outstanding stand-up footballer like for 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 those who want to accuse him of dirty pool um look look in the mirror look around look look at look at what's going on here the man got first of all he wasn't the first player to get his uh, his his eye nearly gouged out earlier in the match Kulisevsky came away from a from a challenge and nearly got his eye gouged out as well which wasn't even called a foul much less a booking um and Harry Kane did exactly what he needed to do in that scenario in order to, you know, present the official with, 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 with what happened, present the ref with what happened. I got hit in the face. I'm going to go down. I'm sorry. That's just what you do. And yep. the, the shitty part for me is that it felt in that moment, like that was the break Spurs needed in order to even get a goal like Spurs need yeah. to be playing 11 yep. on 10 in order to even get a goal. And I actually, in the moments after uh, the sending off, I thought, well, this is not good because Everton have actually been, you know, coming at us a little bit and that's how Spurs kind of want to play. They want you to expose yourself so they can hit you on the counter. And now with 10 men, Everton are just going to pack it in and sit back and Spurs don't have the creativity to score a goal there. Now, what happens, you know, about what was it? 10 minutes later, you get another instance where some, some fortune comes their way and Romero gets taken down in the box and Spurs are able to get a penalty. Now I don't like being in a scenario as a Spurs fan where I feel like Spurs need those two breaks to happen just to get a goal. That's not a good feeling. And that's where, that's where I'm just like, okay, this is, this is broken. Things are broken here. Yeah, no question. Things, and I find myself laughing because we're still, what, fifth in the table right now and could we're have gone third still. with the win. We're it's, still fourth. It's, fourth. It's wild. Like, things are broken from top to bottom at this club. I watched Liverpool and Chelsea today. Both of those clubs and Liverpool 
you know, they're recovering, but both of those clubs are not in a favorable favorable position, right? And and I, you know, I think Liverpool's run just fine and they will recover. It's just really going through a footballing cycle, you could say, right? But Chelsea's in a tough spot. Um, so, you know, sometimes I, I try to remind myself to keep some perspective here with what's happening at Spurs. And by all means, I'm very, very happy that our problems are just, you know, down to decision making from the board and, you know, transfers and not, you know, other things which are, uh, you know, harder to stomach as a fan at other clubs. We'll leave it at that. Right. But um, or at least for, you know, you and I and other folks on the show. Right. I know we're all very happy that we're a club that only has these types of issues, but it is getting frustrating and you know, again, I just find myself laughing because as frustrating as it is and as shitty as it all is, you look at the table and, and if Alien showed up today and, and just looked at the table, right, they wouldn't think that there's anything wrong at this club right now. We're in, we're in fourth place in the greatest league in the world. And, you know, if, if you want to get if you want to get down to it, logically speaking, if you're if you're in fourth place in the Premier League, you're one of the best. 10 to 15 clubs on the planet, right? So things can't be that bad. Um, and maybe they aren't, right? But they feel like they're just an absolute fucking mess. It does kind of feel like the bottom is is starting to tear and, and things are starting to fall apart a little bit. But to your point, Spurs, as the table stands in this moment, uh, are seven points clear of Liverpool and they are 11 points clear of Chelsea. Like, mm. that's that's... That's kind of baffling. Yeah, it, it is. It it really is wild. Well, um, that's where I, you know, if we could, if we could give the listener some hope here, it's, it's that we really only are a couple of good good decisions away from being back on track, right? And and I know it really doesn't feel that way. And there's some someone out there who's going to laugh at me, and that's fine. I hope you get some enjoyment out of out of that, and you know, happy to 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 take this course, but but we are really a couple of good decisions away from, from being back on track. Now we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be off track Poor decisions shouldn't have happened. I'll be the biggest proponent of that as well, but the past is the past. The future is a future and, and we can sort this out. Right. Um, now that doesn't mean we take forever to hire someone like Nuno either. We really have to, to, you know, to get this decision right. And in my opinion, when I say get it right, that means pretty quickly too. I think the longer you wait, the more wrong the decision becomes. I think if you, you know, I put out a put out a message in the group, so you've kind of heard me say this, so bear with me. But if we, you know, if, if we're going to have any semblance of a plan here, we get a manager in quickly. We let that manager watch Stellini and Mason run the team for the rest of the season, see what they're working with, right? And then get in as soon as the season's over and, and, and start flipping this club, right, before the season starts. And do I think we're we can do that and win the league. Absolutely not. Right. But what I need is to see that we have a plan and that we're willing to execute on it efficiently. Right. We look at, we look at Byron and, and their decision to fire Nagelsmann and bring in Tuchel. We look at Chelsea as soon as Nagelsmann became available, Potter's out, they're negotiating with Nagelsmann, right? These, these clubs act efficiently and swiftly. And I, I don't need us to sign Nagelsmann. I don't need us to sign Tuchel. Um, there's there's names out there again like a Desarby that I'm very interested in managing this club and I know the rumors are that he won't leave Brighton right but whatever our decision is I just needed to 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 be executed with a plan and, and quickly for me to feel like you know we're getting towards what I just said which is a couple of good decisions away from being on track. 
Yeah, I mean, I, the the Potter sacking is not even something that I think we had knowledge of before we recorded our last podcast, and so it's not not even the 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 ramifications of that on the entire managerial merry-go-round right now is um it it's making my head spin. And honestly, with nine games left in the season, I'm just like I I continue to reiterate what I did on the last pod, like fast forward and. And 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 let's mm-hmm. do it. But you're right; the decisions are important, and they can't really be glossed over. Um, we just have no control over them. Obviously, we're just we have to react to them when they happen, not before they do. Um, get getting back to the game briefly. I thought that the the biggest thing for me at was after the penalty because it really looked and like I said, Spurs got two breaks in order to get their their goal and take their lead. Um, you know, the red card and then the penalty and. I was really taken aback by after the penalty was scored. The celebration in, in, in that moment looked ominous to me because it looked almost as if Spurs were relieved that they had gotten the goal and they felt comfortable in that moment. And I had a really, this is not me doing the, you know, the second guessing and the, the, the Nostradamus thing I really had a bad feeling just by the body. I was doing a little bit of body language um, analysis and Spurs just looked comfortable in that moment. And I did not like it. And from the second that goal went in, that's like I mentioned earlier, that's when Everton were really able to turn the screws up and they got the ball, even a man down, they put the pressure on. And I feel like the thing that exacerbated that was the substitution of Davison Sanchez coming on for Clement Longley. And if you're a team that's having trouble progressing it out, out, out the back, the last thing on earth that I would want is to put Davison Sanchez on the pitch, especially on the left side, on his weaker side. I thought Longley, despite picking up a, a kind of a silly yellow grabbing the Jersey, um, you know, on 64 minutes, this came before the goal even, but he, he was on a yellow. So I, I get it from that standpoint. I thought Longley looked pretty good and looked pretty comfortable on the ball. He and Romero yeah. both uh, on either yep. side of Dyer looked pretty good to take him off in that moment and put Sanchez on, on the left side was baffling to me. It was, it was almost as egregious as Sanchez coming on during the Milan game. It was just so bizarre to me. What are we doing? And sure enough, Sanchez looked awful. He 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 was he did not look comfortable, and I don't really blame him for this. He's not known as a as a center back who's going to be able to be comfortable on the ball, much less on his weak side. Um, and then you exacerbate that by you know moments later bringing Lucas Mora on, who only spent about six minutes on the pitch because he gets the red the straight red. Um, I just the substitutions were I, I get that there was not a lot of depth because there's a lot of injury and I'm not even I'm not even asking for for still you need to use all five subs or 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 anything like that. But like give me Danjuma over Mora still. I uh, will mm-hmm. continue to reiterate that. And don't give me Davis Sanchez as left center back. Um th- those two decisions I felt like it just they just exacerbated everything and the goal was always coming for Everton. I, I don't even think it would have taken them uh or, or or I don't even think it would have taken Lucas Mora going going off the pitch on on his straight red 
I feel like they were always going to score. From the moment we scored, we dropped our guard. And that was what was really disappointing, is that we just kind of figured one goal would be enough. And it, it never was. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you just have to say Stellini got, got those two songs subs quite wrong. Sanchez uh, for Longley, I agree with you in a couple of different ways. It It's it's confusing. Um, I understand Longley is on a yellow, like you said. Romero is also on a yellow at this point. And if anybody asks me which of those two is getting a second yellow, it's not Longley, right? Um, so to to take Sanchez, if, if we're really concerned about yellows, put him on the right-hand side where he at least is comfortable, right? If you're, if you're making a sub based on yellow cards here is, 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 is the premise, which, you know, speaks to the point that it shouldn't have happened. Um, well, Lucas, to, 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 to just so you don't get it in the comments, R- Romero actually picked up his yellow after Longley came on. So oh, just, did he? Okay. Just okay. To clarify. It was, okay. It was moments, yeah, it was moments after, but, 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 but even so I get what you're saying. You, you putting, putting a player on, out of position like that in that scenario where you're already feeling the pressure you're already like i said the guard had been dropped um that moment where where hugo put the ball right right in front of himself for romero that came after the goal like all of these all of these moments that were really really like oh my god what are we doing why can't we get the ball out of our own half came after the goal um that's not to say that ever didn't didn't have their chances early but most of this pressure came in right after the goal came. And it's just, it, it's foolish for me to think that you would put a player on the pitch and then put not only a player like Sanchez, who again, he's just not a, he's not a guy who is, has ever been comfortable with the ball at his feet to think that you would put him on the pitch out of position is just baffling to me. Agreed. Agreed. No, a hundred percent. And I think, with Lucas, in one sense, I understand that the sub tactically, if Everton was struggling to get the ball out of their own half a little bit as well, prior to their goal, which speaks or begs the question, how in the hell you know did we let them have so much of the ball after our goal was scored? And we talk about that all day as we kind of have been, but... Lucas presses so well, and so I think in one sense, I understand bringing him on to, 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 to create some sort of turnover in the final third. But at the same time, if you find a team that is going to shell back like we knew they would at that point, Lucas also isn't somebody that I'm probably bringing on. I mean, he he's very good at running at defenders, right? But I don't see him as being super effective in like a one-two situation in the box. And there there may be some folks out there who who will point out the times where he's been able to do that. But from our understanding, which is probably basic at this point, albeit uh, Don Juma is a little bit more, uh, you know, technical in and around the box um, in those situations where you may be trying to break down a low block. So. I don't really think the, the Lucas sub was super wise either. And so that's where I just say Stellini kind of has to chalk it up to, to, to poor mistakes there on his own part. Um, but at the same time, it's not, it's not different than anything we've seen. And so I don't really want to take too much time to say like, Oh, look what Stellini did. This is on Stellini. 
I don't even know who this is on, man. That's a question we've been trying to figure out for a long time on this podcast is where all of this blame lies, right? But I'm not super willing to just bash Delaney either because nothing's really changed, right? And when you look at the fact that this is a man who's been with Conte for like three or four full seasons, right? Not only do you absorb, you know, things from a footballing perspective from that person, you also kind of absorb absorb personality from that person, right? Oh, no question. Um, and so this is a very obvious thing to say, but I'm not really ready to hold Stellini responsible for anything because I don't think we could have expected anything else, right? But then back to my point, I still think what we really can't expect is better than flipping things on their head, and that just speaks to the whole mess that we found ourselves in, right? Yeah. But right now it's like it you like you've said get through the season because it really is just like survive this absolute shit show which we know probably needs to continue for us to have a shot at top four and then just like please let this be over this chapter in tottenham hotspur's history which i think can now be chalked up to the Mourinho and conte chapter right yeah i mean i I combined as one i really think it's funny when i hear when I hear the words top four mentioned, I just kind of, uh, I just kind of smirk because I don't, I don't think Spurs are playing for top four. I think they're playing for top six right now. Dude, um, I think we're going to get six or seven. That's my, that's, that's firmly where I stand at the moment. You, you look at the table, everyone pretty much around them, uh, including, I mean, Spurs right now are bookended by both Newcastle and Manchester United all three of those teams on 50 points, but the other two other than Spurs have two games in hand. So there's no, and then Brighton right behind United uh, are four back and they have two games in hand. So easily, you know, there's, there's an easy path for Brighton here to, to jump into this mix even before Spurs do. And, 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 and and look at who Spurs next opponent is. It, It just so happens to be Deserby and Brighton who are playing extremely well. So, it's it's a lot man and and look it all goes back to a lot of what we talked about last week with with the whole business surrounding uh Fabio Paratici and you know there's just there's so many questions and so few answers and like i said they they've got 9 games they've got 9 games to figure out what the what the plan is what the what the path is uh, there just there doesn't seem to be one right now at Spurs, and it's it's really wild. You know, you brought up earlier the idea that they can't they can't wait around and and just to hire a Nuno type. But honestly, what else is there? Like yeah, like it feels very daunting right now. Is 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 the best way to put it? With you know the the end of the the end of the season is is kind of in view now it's on the horizon you're right they better within within two weeks of the season ending they better have announced not just a manager but a full-on plan a full whether whether they're gonna go with a director of football whether the and i i i have fears that the plan is just gonna be well let's just bring pochettino back and that feels almost at this point like like a break glass in case of emergency scenario. And I don't like Yeah. Oh no, the, the pot potch potch the Madrid rumors are heating up quite a bit right now and which is interesting because they still have they still employ a coach. 
a very talented one. Too, the, right? the rumors, yeah. the rumors too, is another thing that I just, it, you know, I, I can't remember if I joked on pod or, or just in our group chat, but like, I see all these transfer rumors too, right now. I just can't get behind rumors. I see yeah. transfer rumors left and right. And I'm just like, really, we're going to have transfer rumors when we don't even have a, 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 a director of, well, no, not just a window. We uh, don't have a director of football. We don't have a manager. Yes. We yes. don't have a plan. So I don't see yeah. how you can link any players to us, but. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's kind of bizarre right now. Uh, was was there anything anything else you needed to get off your chest, man? I know like we we were even thinking like eh, we we'll probably do a midweek pod after the, after the Everton match and and ahead of the weekend, but we were just like eh, let's give it twenty four hours <laughs> and, and yeah. see and and yeah we're, we're 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 giving the folks a little bit of extra content here midweek, but I just I don't know, man. I'm. I'm very throw my hands up at this point and see, I'm going to watch these final nine games and, and hope to hell like they can get results, but I just don't, I don't feel any kind of confidence about this team right now. Yeah, but I think I agree. And the question I kind of find myself asking is like, would I even feel any different if we got fourth place or fifth place or sixth place? And the answer is resoundingly. No, I would not feel any different. I really mean that. I don't care. Like, if we're in the Champions League next year, it doesn't fucking matter. We'll we'll have some group matches, which I'll have to work during anyways, right? And we'll fucking do our best, and we'll probably end up barely getting out of the group and then putzing out of the round of 16, which is kind of our level, right? Europa League, like, might even give me a little bit more hope that there's something to get excited about, right? And I'm not saying we could go win the thing. I don't really think we can win things, period. And I'm kind of overthinking that, but... Um, but I don't know. I think in terms of, in terms of what we really have to do, all jokes aside, it doesn't matter where we finish because the job is still the same job, whether we're in Europa league or champions league. And honestly, if champions league can get us like 20 to 30 more million dollars in 50, I don't even care. Right. Who's to say we'll even use that correctly. We'll bring in a couple of guys that aren't the right fit. Like, I'd rather us just kind of have to have to do this the, the the wholesome way, and I guess all I'm saying is like, if we if we finish below fourth place, I actually don't even think it's like a horrible thing for the club because right now Champions League should probably be the least of our worries. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that uh, be a very common thread in in multiple group chats and on on Spurs Twitter and people just don't really care if, if this team makes top four or, or honestly makes fifth or sixth and, and gets in either the Europa league or the Europa conference league at this point, they just want uh, answers and direction. And I kind of, I won't say I don't care about those things because I think it would be nice to have something else to go for. Um, But at the same time, I, I can't get too worked up if this club doesn't show any kind of, uh, you know, oomph in 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 wanting to go for something and wanting to have a plan at this point 100 agree and i and i know we're getting long here so it's the last thing i'll say but it's it's important to think about the players too i mean for for five six seven years a group of these guys have been going through the same thing fall a little bit short we'll get them next year fall a little bit short we'll get him next year fall a little bit short oh we're gonna fight for top four with everything we have oh we'll get him next year right at some point it becomes very very difficult for yourself as a player to even be invested in that fight 
like you've just gone through it over and over right and again that's on the board but i don't think that like as crazy as it sounds these guys are professional athletes but like if there's players on the team who have gone through this five or six times just like fans have five or six times and fans are just absolutely fucking over it like we can't think that there's something within the players is absolutely fucking over this like cycle and again that's on the board right like a hundred percent if the same guys are getting beat up over and over again like i'm not going to sit here and say fuck you eric dyer for being terrible at soccer at this point like i don't think he is i think he's a very talented player right but fuck you for your mistakes blah 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 like we need to say how have you not been given the opportunity to not to not be in this cycle that you find yourself in as a player too right and I think, you know, from a from a human perspective, I'm not angry with his with his play. I may be angry that he's still here, but that's not on him. Right. No, no question. I'm I'm, I am very interested to see the uh, the reception for this club as they return home on Saturday for for what amounts to a really important game against Brighton and and a Brighton team that is, like I said earlier, flying high. And uh, I'm. I'm going to be interested to see how that all pans out uh, on Saturday at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It, it, I hope that things don't turn toxic, but I imagine they will be at least bordering on on that. Uh, and that would not be great. It's not fun, but uh, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't turn ugly. Um, in it, it just in terms of of fans and interaction and player and songs and those kinds of things. I, I hope that it's at least, you know, a, a, a directed protest rather than an angry one. Um, because I'm sure, yeah, yeah. It, I'm sure, I'm sure there will be a protest atmosphere uh, on Saturday as, as there should be the, you know, fans are mad as hell and they're not going to take it. So we'll yep. have to see what they come up with uh, for the game on Saturday. Uh, we will be back with you at the weekend uh, with another edition of the Tottenham Depot. Uh, this has been fun. Little little midweek uh, mini pod for you. Uh, Scott can be found at DSM Spurs. I can be found at a Stetka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. Get your Twitter, your Instagram fired up. We're throwing content out on those. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating and review in your podcast app of choice as well. Uh, and uh, drop us a line with uh, anything that you want to hear about going forward Uh, until the weekend. This has been the Tottenham Depot podcast as always come on you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs.